my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Hello, welcome to the Digital Nomad Experts podcast today from Beach Commute. I am here, I think actually for my very first in-person interview for this podcast. We've got Matt Bowles in the house, literally. (laughs) Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) I'm super excited. Matt interviewed me on his podcast three years ago. Was that three years? It was in 2019. So yes, just about three years ago on the Maverick show. Which is insane. So we're going to talk about your podcast as well throughout this. It's a fun one. And I just, I'm going to let you introduce yourself for the most part. We've traveled a bunch in person. You've been a nomad for how many years has it been? So I started my full-time nomad journey where I got completely rid of my permanent base in 2013. And I'm like, what year is it now? So it's like nine, <laughs> nine years of full-time nomading. Nine years with no base, yes. Which is amazing. And you really are one of the people who continue. I think most people who travel full-time eventually start going a little slower, settle down a lot longer, still move some. But you really are, COVID aside, still moving around and exploring the world all these years. It's an amazing place. There's a lot of things to see and a lot of amazing people to meet and hang out with. Yeah. So I actually, normally I start with introducing yourself, but let's actually start with where and how we met our travels and then we'll back up and go just like get your whole, your whole story. But you want to share where did we meet? What were those first travels? We met on the Nomad Cruise where we were going to Lisbon was our final destination. And we stopped in a bunch of places with Morocco we hung out with and we hung out in and uh, all of that. So we were in Spain and Morocco and uh, Portugal. And then we hung out in Portugal for a while. And that was where we initially met and where I interviewed you on the Maverick show. Yes, all these years. And today we're in Playa del Carmen, Mexico for another Nomad conference. We're here with Nomad Base, which I guess is an extension of Nomad Cruise where we first met. And yeah, what are your thoughts on Playa so far? It's great to be in Mexico. <laughs> it, is, awesome. it is one of my, no, it's one of my favorite countries. I, the food here is insane. The people are always amazing. I have never been to Playa. I have been to a few other places in Mexico. I spent about a month in Mexico City in 2017, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. I've also spent time in Chiapas, Mexico, a number of years ago um, in the autonomous uh, Zapatista communities in the Lacandon jungle down there uh, doing activist solidarity work. So I've seen different parts of Mexico, and it's always amazing to come back. Mexico just has a vibe about it. Different places have different vibes, but uh, it's amazing. I've been eating tacos like (laughs) twice a day every single day since I've been here, and that's just my happy place. (laughs) I just brought Matt. We just ate at a salad place. And you were like, what is this? I've only been eating tacos. (laughs) Regardless, uh, the food is good. I think other parts of Mexico definitely have much better food than Playa, though. I will will say that. I don't know your opinion. But Playa has the beach, so, you know, it's a trade-off. True, true. And I'm a beach girl. Everyone who listens to this knows that. This is the, the Beach Commute podcast. But... 
All right, let's take it back, Matt. I think people are in for a treat today just to get a lot of your nomad experience, to hear some cool different ways that you can work as a nomad. You work in a very unusual industry for someone who is nomadic. But let's take it back to the beginning for you. Of If you can tell us what you were doing before you became a nomad, where you were living, your career, your job. We could, we could do a whole episode just on, on your background. So give us the short story of that, and then we'll transition into how nomadic life happened for you. So the short story is that <laughs> all of my academic background and all of my professional work experience up until the age of 30 has absolutely nothing to do at all with what I'm doing today. Which I love. <laughs> Never too late to pivot. As a career coach, I love, you know, so many people get so stuck in, in, in industries where they're not happy. They've been doing it for X amount of time and you feel like you should and you have to. So did you have any of those thoughts on what was your transition like? And what yeah. are you doing? You haven't shared yet. Yeah. So just for the background, I have a bachelor's degree in sociology. Yep. I have a master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution. <laughs> And I worked professionally in the nonprofit advocacy space my entire career, all the way up until the age of 30. And what happened at that point was there was, we had a change in management, the organization that I was at and all this. And I found myself getting basically unexpectedly let go all of a sudden. And that sort of turned my world upside down, right? So I'm 30 years old and I'm just got basically fired from my job. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, like my whole world is spinning. I'm trying to like process this because it happened unexpectedly and all of a sudden. And literally I had to turn in my company phone that day, you know, and everything. And I'm walking out into the parking lot. I don't even have a phone. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, step one, <laughs> drive to the Verizon store to buy a phone so I can call my mother to tell her I got fired, right? Like this is literally my steps in and my mind, in right? Los Angeles at the time. I was in LA at the time. That's right. So and I just moved out to LA. Uh, and so I'm in LA at the time, like, oh, I just moved here and I lost my job and here I am. Uh, so I go, I buy the phone and then I'm like, okay, I have now a couple options, right? I can either think about applying for other jobs or I can decide to really use this as a sign that I am gonna do a major life pivot and really go in a very different direction and try to start my own business and create my own path and do something totally different. I said, you know what, that's what I'm gonna do. And literally on that same day, I made that decision. I said, that's what I'm gonna do. And there was only one problem, Marissa. I had no idea how to start a business. <laughs> so I literally, this is 2007 by the way. So I literally drove to the bookstore in Los Angeles, went to Barnes and Noble, and I walked to the business section and I started reading books on how to Start a business. You didn't know which business you were going to start at this time. It was just so. Here's the thing: I had been investing in real estate on my own uh, for the last couple of years because I figured if I'm working in the nonprofit space, I, I'm never going to make a lot of money <laughs> at my job. So I should figure out how to invest, yeah. right? So I had bought a house and I had rented out three of the bedrooms to friends of mine, and that house appreciated more in the first year than my entire annual salary. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's interesting. And then I did a cash out refinance on that, and I started buying rental properties in out of state real estate markets. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden my friends came up to me and they're like, dude, how are you doing that? Like, how are you buying those rental properties? Can you show us how to do that? <laughs> I was like, nonprofit income. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, sure, I'll show you. <laughs> so then I start helping my friends buy real estate, you know, out of state and I'm not making money out of it. I'm just showing them what I'm doing. And I noticed as I was doing this, that the real estate brokers that were helping us to buy the real estate were making commissions on all of the properties that we were buying, yep. but we weren't paying them. Yeah. So I was like, that's cool. Like they're providing all this value. They're helping us, you know, find these properties and buy these properties and everything. And we don't pay any money for it. 
but they're making money. So that's interesting. So I had all of a sudden understood this, how this business model works. So this light bulb went on for me when I was thinking about what kind of business do I want to start? I was like, I already know this, you know, about rental properties. I already know that there's demand from people to help them buy rental properties like my friends. And now all of a sudden I understand that <laughs> if I have a real estate brokerage license, I can literally continue to do the same thing, charge my friends nothing, but all of a sudden get paid and start making a business out of it. I was like, <laughs> that's for me. Yes, I love it. And it's funny. Um, so when we first met on Nomad Cruise, I guess we're in Spain at the time or somewhere in the ocean out there. That was one of the first conversations we had. I remember you were telling me about your business, which we'll, we'll get into what that actually is. But we bonded over among hip hop and some other things, <laughs> real estate, because uh, I have my license too. And I also get money. I don't do much with it. I have it kind of as a backup. My family does some real estate stuff. And when I was starting my first business, I thought to myself, this would be, a, I have the time to get my license. It would be a good backup. And I just remember hearing your business model and being like, this is brilliant. But before we like release what your business is, which we'll talk about, can you talk for a second about kind of the mindset, if you can remember, rewind back to this day where you got let go. It's a really, really bold move to say, all right, I have, not that you have nothing, but I've lost this job. I've lost my you know, income from this job. I'm going to start a business. So whether people are quitting to travel, to get a new job, that's a really scary thing to pivot when you don't have that money coming in. So any thoughts on like what gave you the courage to do that and any words of advice for someone who might go through a similar transition? Yeah, I mean, so my path is not necessarily the ideal one that I recommend, <laughs> right? The ideal one that I recommend is while you're working at your yeah. job that you're not excited about, yep. start a side for hustle, sure. build it up on the side, get it up to a sustainable level, and then just leap over. It's yep. a much less stressful approach. <laughs> That's what I often to, advise to clients, depending on everyone's it. situation is different. However, on the other hand, one of the advantages to doing it the way that I did is that you are very motivated. Full time in, yeah. You are very motivated. <laughs> I mean, money. there there will be no laziness. Uh, <laughs> it's the, because the, the because the other side is it's like if you're working at your job, you're like, well, I do have my paycheck. If I don't put in the hours tonight, I'm still gonna make my right. money. I can right. just maybe watch Netflix instead tonight, and yeah. it's not like I won't be able to eat. If you lost your job, <laughs> you're like, I gotta build this business in order to be able to eat, right? Yeah. Like all of a sudden, the motivation is is much greater sure. and there's more adrenaline and there's in some people that's stress inducing and debilitating yeah. other people it's motivating True. so some of that's personal right um but you know one of the things that i quickly found was first of all i was like whoa this could be really isolating if i'm trying to do this all by myself is one thing and second of all as i started reading these books on how to start a business i realized I don't have most of the skills required <laughs> to start a business. I was like, so I have some of the skills right. and I know what I'm good at and I know what I can contribute, but whoa, like there's other stuff that I'm like really not good or proficient at. And so what I decided to do very early on, right at the beginning was to find business partners that were really good at the stuff that I wasn't good at right. and also would be a really supportive group to right. build this together and go on this journey together. And for me, that was one of the most important decisions that I ever made. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm going through that now. I've done a lot of solo businesses, as you know, by myself, several different ones before starting Beach Commute with Jeff and Diego. And it's something I have thoroughly enjoyed as well as we have really complementary different skills and it's fun. Like they're great friends. We get along and I know you're really close to your business partner in that way as well. And I think you guys 
have a really unusually amazing relationship as far as business partners go. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons, so so I have two business partners. Um, one of them, Valerie, who's been interviewed on The Maverick Show, which is one of the a lot of people's favorite episodes <laughs> because we go back over 20 years. Yeah. So we're telling all of these like wild stories about like 20 years of knowing each other and stuff. And it was really a, a, a fun interview. But yeah, she and I actually met in grad school. We both did our master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution. And then we both worked at separate organizations in the nonprofit space. And so I knew her through that, Yeah. but we became best friends, you know, through that process. We did a lot of activist work together, a lot of human rights advocacy stuff, things of that nature. And we had been to conflict regions together. Like we had done international solidarity work in the North of Ireland during very contentious periods and things like that. So we had been in high stress situations together and we had worked together, you know, in a co-organizing sort of team oriented capacity in high stress environments. So that part of it had already been tested. So I trusted her more than pretty much right. anyone <laughs> in the world. And I'm yes. like, that's a really important um, yeah. foundational thing. Plus she was adventurous enough that if I was to call her up and say, hey, Valerie, so I know you have like this great job and all this kind of stuff and you're making this company. How would you like to leave your job and come start a business with me? <laughs> that she would, be, she would be the type of person who'd be like, right. okay. That's <laughs> the best people. It's a travel style mentality exactly. as well too. Exactly. But okay, well, tell the people, what is your business? We've been talking about it roundabout now, but can you explain it? And then we'll kind of go back to the transition. Yeah, so it's called Maverick Investor Group, and it is a real estate brokerage in the United States, and we help people buy cash-flowing rental properties as an investment to own and hold from anywhere. So it's a turnkey buying opportunity, meaning we're talking about single-family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, um, and they are either brand new or fully renovated. They already have tenants in place on a long-term lease, paying rent, and they already have local property management in place that's collecting the rent, handling the maintenance, dealing with the tenant. So you, as the buyer, get to own, you actually own the physical hard asset, you buy the deeded real estate, you own the house, and you get all of the benefits of that without having to be the rehabber, without having to be the landlord, without all the headaches that go along with that, and importantly, without having to live near the property. So you can own property in the most investor-advantaged U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. And that means that maybe you live, like a lot of our clients live in expensive markets, like in California, LA, San Francisco, New York City, places where real estate is astronomically priced, and they would rather buy property through our company, one, because it's turnkey and they don't have the headaches, but two, because we get them access to the more investor advantaged markets where you can buy relatively low, rent relatively high, get much better cash flow, and then they can just buy and own rental properties in the best markets without having to live there. And so they can live where they want, they can be digital nomads if they want, they can travel the world, but that doesn't put geographic restrictions on them in terms of where they can own their rental property. So that's really the value proposition. Yeah, so good. I've been talking to Matt, I'm, I'm almost ready to buy one. <laughs> I think it might be time soon, but if you guys listen to our, the, I think the podcast that we published right before this, probably, we talked about different ways to become a nomad and you can get a remote job, 
you know, with an employee, you can become an entrepreneur, you can work as a freelancer. And then as you kind of move up the scale, you start investing into these types of things, whether it's crypto, stock market, real estate, wherever. So your money starts working for you and you can become more and more and more free. That's the goal. But I think you have an awesome proposition for, for people to get into this real estate market without knowing too much, without having to be there. And like you said, without the headache. So I think that's amazing. But what I also want to cover from this are two kind of things. One, I think it's really cool what you do because when someone starts going down this digital nomad path and looking to see like, what careers can I do? How can I work remotely? Typically you've got, or, you know, your copywriters, your graphic designers, developers, you know, the common digital nomad jobs. And here you are working in real estate. So I'd love to just share, I think you do a good job on your podcast as well. It's just highlighting there's so many different types of jobs you can do beyond just what people think you can do remotely. So if you could talk about that and even then some people who work for you as well. Yeah, I mean, so the first thing is to really sort of push your mindset beyond the traditional limitations about yeah. what's a potentially remote job, right? Yeah. So when I tell people that I own and run a real estate brokerage, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is a traditional real yeah. estate brokerage, which people think about a real estate agent driving people around yep. to houses to try to pick out a house that they want to buy to live in or listing a house, which means going and sitting there at the open house and baking cookies <laughs> and welcoming people in and handing out your business card. This is what people think about when they think that's real estate what brokerage. I still think about yeah, it. that's what you think about, <laughs> um, which is obviously a completely geographically restrictive. Yeah occupation. You only sell houses in the place where you live. You can't sell them without physically being there. And that's what people think. Maverick Investor Group is a real estate brokerage that has clients all over the United States and all over the world. And we have those people, we're helping them to buy properties in multiple different markets around the United States. Okay. So we had this vision and then basically worked backwards, right? So the vision was sort of on two levels, right? One, we want to have location independence for ourselves, yep. the owners of the company, and for all of our staff that we hired that work for us. We want everyone to be able to have location independence. But also, there's advantages for our clients and our customers and our buyers, okay? So with that traditional model, if you are a real estate agent in one city, all you have to sell are the properties that are in your city. That's it. You don't have access to anything else. So if anybody says, hey, is your city a good place to invest in real estate? You have to tell them yes. And basically, you have to retrofit <laughs> your marketing materials to sell whatever you have. So you have a product, no matter what the market is doing at the time, right. it's all you have to sell. So you retrofit your marketing materials to sell it. We wanted to do the opposite. We wanted to put the client first and say, we understand that all of these real estate markets are very local. There's all of these property cycles. It's more or less advantageous to buy in certain cities at certain times over time. And we want our clients to be able to buy in the best markets at the time that they are ready to buy. Right. So we as a brokerage are market agnostic. We don't care what market, we're not financially incentivized to convince you to buy right. in a particular market. Doesn't really matter to us. And so what it allows us to do is have the latitude and the agility to help our clients buy in different markets over time as different markets become more advantageous and also thereby to diversify 
and own rental properties in different real estate markets around the country. Right. So cool. And could you explain, so for someone listening to this, right, it can take some time to become an entrepreneur and start making money and do things like this. So for anyone listening and just ready to start traveling right away, you can also get a job with someone like Matt or in a zillion different industries. So can you talk, I know you said you have one person, at least on your team, who, who everyone is fully remote, but someone who else who travels. So just talk about, yeah, some of the roles like on your team even. 100%. Yeah. So our entire team is fully remote. We're a fully remote company. And so, you know, everybody lives wherever they want, travels when they want and or not. Right. (laughs) And so the beauty of location independence is that you have that choice. You can live in one place. You can move whenever you want. You can travel and be itinerant or you can not be. I mean, you know, so everybody on our team has that freedom. And then different people choose to exercise that in varying degrees. Some people have a base and they just do their own travel a certain times a year. Some people are married with kids and they're not traveling very much now. Some people are, you know, whatever it may be. And so everybody has that choice. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Michael who runs our sales department and interacts with all of our, uh, real estate investor clients, uh, who anybody that comes into Maverick will meet. Um, I met Michael through a digital nomad, you know, uh, network basically, right. Uh, through, through socially networking with other digital nomads. So I was, I'll just tell you this story briefly. I was in Japan (laughs) and I was hanging out with other nomads interviewed somebody for the Maverick Show podcast. And he then invites me to be on a panel that he's organizing at the South by Southwest conference in Austin, Texas on remote entrepreneurship in the digital age. So I say, sure, of course, I want to go to South by. This is it for people that don't know. This is a massive conference. You get 100,000 people at this thing. It's a film festival, music festival, you know, all of these different business uh, things going on. It's wild. So I was like, of course, I'd love to go. And so I go to that. And when we do our panel, this guy comes up to me after the panel. I'd never met him. He said, man, you know, I came to this panel because I'm such a big fan of the Maverick Show podcast. I've heard every episode. And then he starts citing like the different episodes and the guests, you know, (laughs) I'm totally flattered. I'm like, wow, it's like so amazing. I said, like, bro, come downstairs, have drinks with us, hang out. You know, he and I went out. I, I took him out with a, with a, some friends of mine, went to a hip hop show. And like, all, so we hung out like the whole week. He's a great guy. Um, he's a full-time digital nomad, you know. And um, so then when this position became available at Maverick, what I did is I sent it out to some people that I knew, including him. And he was like, oh man, this is a dream position. I would love to take this. I can't right now though, because I just took this other job and stuff, but let me get this to some friends of mine that I think would be great. Some nomad friends that I think would be great at this. Sure enough, one of his nomad friends was Michael and he applies for the job and uh, was just an amazing candidate and uh, interviewed him uh, and uh, ended up hiring him. And he's been with us for a couple of years now. So it's fantastic. But yeah, I mean, I think in general, right? There's so many companies now. Yeah. I mean, we are a, a fully remote company and yep. we're since day one. Many other companies that weren't fully remote since day one now all of a sudden are allowing people to work remotely. So the opportunities to get a remote job in a giant broad range of fields, industries, and everything else is extraordinary right now. So that's a very, very easy, I think, and straightforward way for somebody that's not an entrepreneur, maybe, or doesn't want to build a business or isn't inclined to do that to just 
you know, get an entree into location independence and then be able to design their lifestyle. Yeah. There's so many cool companies out there. Then just like you said, you have salespeople working for you. There's all different people. And something else I want you guys to take away if you're listening is it's not always the traditional job post. So from Matt's story that you just heard inside of our Grow Remote Employment course, we help you know teach you to get a remote job. Yes, it's good to look at those job postings and see the type of companies hiring, but we also teach you the importance of networking in this way. And like Matt said, some jobs are never posted and you just find the right ways whether it's a nomadic network or other people you know. So really just to start asking. But I want to back up now. So now you guys, you've got the download of what Matt does, all the amazing stuff, people who work from all different ideas of ways that you can be nomadic in ways that maybe you never thought with your employer. But can you talk about when you set this up, Matt, did you know from the get-go, like, I want to, I'm setting up this company so that I can travel the world or did that kind of come as an accident after? And I actually don't even know the answer to this question, shockingly. Okay, so I have had a very serendipitous coincidence with my timing. Okay. The day that I drove to Barnes and Noble to start reading those books, <laughs> yes. right, was 2007. And every day I would just drive to the bookstore <laughs> to read books on how to start a business. I wasn't buying the books, Marissa. I didn't have a job. I would just sit there and read them. And this is like pre-internet where, not pre-internet, but before everything was on the internet like it is today where you could have just sat in your home on your computer and read all of this. <laughs> So one of the things that happened in 2007, I walk into the bookstore one day and the first thing I would do is I would look on the new business book section okay. to see what came out. And one day there was a brand new book that had just been released that day called The Four Hour Work Week <laughs> by some guy nobody had ever heard of, 29 year old kid named Timothy Ferris. <laughs> and I picked it up and I read the back of it and I was like, this is what I'm reading today. Read it the day oh it came God. out. <laughs> And that was what put the light bulb on because that I was literally at the phase of, okay, how do I design a business plan? What do I need to, you know, this kind of stuff. And what that book taught me, the primary big picture takeaway was most business plans, people just do them financially. Yeah. How am I going to make money and make this company profitable? And what that book taught me was, a business should also, and you also need to develop a plan for that business to facilitate additional currency creation, which is required for lifestyle design. So money is one, but your location independence is another. Yeah. And you need to build a business with a plan from the beginning to facilitate your freedom of mobility yeah. and to give you total location independence, which is as valuable, if not more valuable than the money, right? Sure. And then to be able to do it in an asynchronous way where you all of a sudden also have control of your time and stuff like this and you yep. want to build towards that, right? So that you can go to different time zones and do different things and have flexibility over your own work hours and everything else. And so when I read that book, I was like, okay, <laughs> business plan structure has changed, right? <laughs> like, And so it was important, I think, for me then to, with planning the business, to start with the end in mind. Yep. This is what we want to achieve and now let's work backwards to make sure that we don't make any geographically restrictive mistakes while we're building this business. Yeah, 100% agree. I guess I must have known that story at some point because Tim Ferriss is the beginning of mine as well, as is probably 50% of people who become digital nomads or maybe just the original ones. Now social media helps show you it's possible. But I did the same. I was, on a, I was working for Pepsi. I was on a beach in 2014, read that book, and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing in an office? I could be 
making money working from a laptop from anywhere. And I do the same. I always tell my clients as well, start with the end in mind and work your way backwards. So for some people, travel is not important and that's okay. But if travel is a dream of yours, you know, whether you're getting a job with a company, starting your own business, start with the end. And if that is your most important thing and you will not sacrifice it, build your way to say, all right, this type of job or company or logistics fits that. And let me also just answer the second part of your question, which was how did I intend to design my lifestyle from the beginning once I achieved that location independence? So since 2007, I have been fully location independent, 100%, right? And what I did though, is I was not a digital nomad for the first six years of my location independence. From 2007 to 2013, I was based in Los Angeles, California. I was in a relationship there and you know, I loved the city of LA and all of that, but I could do things like go and spend a month with my parents for the holidays every year, which a lot of people can't do, Right. right? I can go to every, you know, whatever wedding or event or this. I mean, I could, I could, I had the freedom to do anything I wanted with no restriction from my employment, but I was based in LA. I was living there. I was in a relationship. I loved it there. And I was just there for six years. And she was dependent on LA at the time. So you couldn't go elsewhere. So, right. So she was doing her PhD at UCLA in Egyptian history. And then one day she comes home and she says, yeah, so I got to go to Cairo for a year (laughs) to do my dissertation research. And I was immediately just, I mean, it didn't take me 30 (laughs) seconds. I was like, cool, I'm location independent. I'll go to Cairo for a year. Let's do this. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. It really is. It's an amazing thing because, you know, a lot of times one person might have a job or might have a this, and then the other person has one too, and then somebody has to move, and then this competing career, it's all kind of crazy. So if if you are location independent, you have the freedom to be with anybody you want, move wherever that person needs to move, do all this other kind of stuff as well, like in terms of relationships or things like that. And so, uh, yeah, so that was amazing. So we got rid of all of our stuff, uh, got sold my car, got rid of all my stuff and all (laughs) that, and then uh, went off to... Uh, Cairo, we actually decided, you know what, if we're going to Cairo and we're getting rid of all our stuff, we could go somewhere on the way to Cairo. We don't need to stay here for the summer. So where in the world would we want to go for three months on the way to Egypt? And we just pulled out a map where we were like, mm, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Cause that's on the way yeah, to right Egypt, way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, Egypt via Buenos Aires. Uh, so we did Buenos for three months and then we did Cairo for nine months. And then, uh, after that, we're like, well, we don't need to go back to LA. You can <laughs> write your dissertation from anywhere. You get your research with you and I yeah. can work remotely. So then we were like, okay, cool. Let's just pull out a world map again and pick the top five locations in the world that we would most love to live and just go rent an Airbnb for two months in each place. So we were like, Rio de Janeiro, Cape Town, South Africa, Barcelona, you know, (laughs) and we just went, right? And we did that for like a year and a half. And then um, eventually she and I broke up around 2016. And I really wanted to continue traveling, but I was also just out of a very long-term relationship and I needed community and I needed friends and I needed hugs and I needed people that cared about me around me. And so I was like, whoa, what do I do? And that's when I discovered these international work travel communities. Beautiful transition. So let's talk about those. Uh, Can you talk about, so you started with Remote Year and then you've done a couple of other ones since. Can you talk about first your experience with Remote Year? Because it's a super special experience. I know a big part of your community. And then, yeah, just some of the other ones you've done as well. Yeah, it was the best year of my life. I mean, it was, I mean, genuinely, genuinely, I mean, drop the mic, walk away. Um, It was exactly what I needed at that exact moment. It was like, 
it was crazy. I had just gotten out of a very long-term relationship. And, you know, one of the things, or one of the mistakes I would say that I made, there's a lot of amazing things. <laughs> I mean, she and I ended up, she and I ended up traveling the world together as itinerant nomads for three years. Yeah. It's amazing you know, start. and one of the things that I think reflecting back on it, one of the mistakes that I made as part of that, that I would, you know, when I interview couples that travel together that I would, <laughs> that, that they all advise that I didn't really do is to establish you know, independent social community connections right. and not, you're not just hanging out with your spouse all day, every day. It's the same. I mean, it's the same thing if you live in a city, right? right. I mean, you could hang out with your spouse all day, every day and like, yeah. never see friends, you yep. know? Uh, but when you're nomading, it's more important because you need to make more of an effort to do that. I was going to say, it's different when you're living in a location, yeah. you typically, you know, maybe have coworkers or family right. or friends or hobbies that right. you build, you know, maybe that's over time, but when right. you're moving around, you might land in a new place for a month or two right. And your partner or your spouse or whatever is all that you have. So it's more comfortable just to go do everything together than to say, all right, I have a month. How am I going to find friends apart from my significant other when that's so safe? So totally. Totally. It's easier said than done. Totally. And if you actually are trying to get a lot of work done all day, you're just yeah. cranking all day, like, okay, now we got time to go have dinner. Like, right. let's just go together and have dinner. Right. You know, we'll go to this new restaurant and right. it'll be cool and fun. And it is, by the way, like yes. when you're in a relationship, like the fact that you have new experiences to experience yeah. together, we're going to this new restaurant together we're going to this new club together we're going to this new thing we're in this new city like let's go on this street art tour let's do this you want to experience it together yeah and so you're doing that but at the same times i found that doing that for three years was <laughs> it, i wound up socially isolated for sure and you that really hit home when i broke up out of the relationship the and now all of a sudden yeah. i'm like whoa right i yep. was like on the island of cyprus <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm on the island of Cyprus, right? <laughs> Which is a gorgeous it island. Beautiful. Um, and I don't know another human being. Yeah. And I just broke up out of a really long-term relationship. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, like, what do I do now? Yeah. I need people. I need my squad. I need people that care about me. I need to get hugs, but um, I don't know anyone here. But also I want to keep traveling because I love this <laughs> lifestyle, but how do I, you know, yeah. so I, that was the moment. So, so what I do is I'm like, okay, first of all, um, I need to get out of Cyprus. <laughs> so, I'm like, so I go to like Skyscanner, right? Which is a great resource for people if you don't know Skyscanner because what it allows you to do is put in the airport that you're flying from mm -hmm. and then it allows you to put in anywhere. <laughs> And it Take will show you, and free. it will show you the the least expensive foreign countries that you can fly to from your airport, right? And there's usually always plenty of flights under 100 bucks that'll get you into another country. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm flying out of Nicosia, Cyprus. Um, where where can I go? I'll go anywhere. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, Athens, Greece. It's like you know, 70 dollars for a flight. I was like, boom, done, booked that, leaving tonight, right? So I like fly to Athens. That, so I like fly to Athens that night. I was like, okay, I need space to like figure out my next moves. And so there I am in Athens and I'm like, okay, code a coffee shop, open computer. <laughs> and I had remembered that I had heard about remote year. Somebody had sent me an email just cause I have travel friends and stuff. And somebody had sent me an email, but it wasn't really relevant to me at the time. Cause I was doing the thing I was doing with the relationship and all that. And I wasn't, and then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, what was that thing called remote year? <laughs> I looked it up and it was like, we, are an international work travel company. We curate a 12 month long itinerary where we take care of, you know, flat monthly fee. We take care of all of the accommodations, co-working space access, international flights between locations. You live in a different city every month for 12 months and it's the same community of people. So nobody knows each other before they get there, but you arrive and it's like 40 plus people. And then that same community of 40 plus people travels the world together for a year. 
So it's the same community the whole year and you just go across four continents and experience the world together. I was like, that <laughs> is exactly what I need because everybody is going to be in the same situation. Nobody knows anybody. Yeah. Everybody's coming to build an intentional community with each other. So it'll be immediately a situation where I can just drop in and have people that want to get to know me and, you know, build this community starting from day one because that's what everyone's there to do. And so I applied for it, got accepted. <laughs> I did a quick swing through the United States to like, you know, change out my travel gear, like re-up my, you know, whatever I needed to do. And then I was off and started that in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Amazing. Did you, so I also heard about remote year first. Uh, I had a friend, one of my best friends from college, we, we love to travel together. She sent it to me and it was when I was getting my real estate license, actually. And I was looking at it. I was like, okay, maybe I could do this and like then come back because I have to be at home to do a real estate thing. Little did I know. Um, but I remember looking at that and I ended up choosing Wi-Fi Tribe because I was a little bit nervous about a full year commitment. And I remember one thinking, I don't know if I want to be Maybe I want to go for three months and come home or go away and come back. And also maybe they're going to locations that I want to go somewhere else. So just curious as you looked at that, how were, how did you decide like, yep, I'm doing it anyway? Yeah. So, and for context as well, subsequently I have done other programs. Yeah. I have done shorter programs as part of the remote year alumni network. I have plugged into other remote year groups for shorter periods of time yeah, for like a month at a time. They do offer shorter ones now. They offer shorter ones now, now remote year. Yeah. You can do like month, four months, four months like that, yeah. or even one month yeah. or like, so you can do all, you can choose all of those things. So even if all of those choices were available at the time, <laughs> the 12 months is epic. The 12 months yeah. is epic because it's different, right? So yeah. I was like, first of all, <laughs> who makes the decision to leave everything and everyone that they know yep. and commit upfront to Wonderful traveling the world with a community yeah. of, tr of strangers that they've never met? Who does that? I want to meet people. <laughs> I want to meet every single one of them yeah. and I want to hear all their stories because yeah. if I'm making this decision, right. I want to know exactly who else makes that decision <laughs> instead of the one month or yeah. shorter term yeah. or what if I don't like the people, what if it's, you know, right. like these are people that are committing for a year Full up front <laughs> without knowing anyone. Right. I was like, I want to meet them all. I want to yeah. hear all their stories. Like those people are really interesting to me. Yeah. Like whoever makes that decision, that's interesting. So that was one. <laughs> um, and then the reason why for me that was when I say that was the best year of my life and my travels yeah. was because of the depth yeah. of the relationships that can form when you see people every single day for a year. Yeah. That does not exist in modern adult life. And doing epic, like not only are you, I mean, you might see your coworkers in a place almost every day, but it's different because not only you're seeing them, you're living with some of them, you're traveling, which is a whole nother level of getting to know somebody. You're working by them, you're eating with them, you're adventuring. It's like you're doing everything together. And you're going through life with them, which yes. is ups and downs and you're supporting them and better, you're, yeah. you know, all of this stuff and you're seeing the world and you're yeah. having the most epic experiences you can imagine right yeah. we were you know in just that <laughs> yeah just that one year i was you know with my crew right with a portion of that crew i was scuba diving with whale sharks in thailand and mountain biking the world's most dangerous road in <laughs> bolivia and you know going on a catamaran through the galapagos islands where you're the only boat that you can see and you're watching the sunset and you've got whales i mean like yeah. i mean it's just like you will do month after month after a month things that most people would say this is a once in a lifetime yeah. bucket list absolutely epic i will tell my grandchildren about this moment and you're doing it every month and you're doing it 
with an amazing group of people and that bonding experience and the connection around those experiences and the personal growth that happens from them yeah. is just I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah, it's amazing. I've done month like, so with Wi-Fi Tribe, I've done a month at a time and I've been with several of those people on different chapters across, you know, it might be for a month and maybe the next month and I won't see them for four months and then we'll pop back in. Um, and even just in that month time, it's like the depth. I always say tra like traveling with someone is like dog years. So one month is like seven months. So a year, it's like you've like basically spent seven years of deeply, probably longer, like getting to know these people, um, which is really magical. So from that, talk about some of the other ones you've done and just kind of like what the difference is for someone who might be thinking like is remote you're right for me is wi-fi tribe is hacker paradise like what are the options and just your kind of take on all of them yeah i mean so i've done the remote year program the 12 month one and then once you do that you get into the alumni network right they call it the being part of the remote nation you become what's called a citizen which is their their vernacular for alumni and then you become, you get into this Slack channel with thousands of people that have completed the program, right? Yeah. And so, and then you can join into other remote year programs and be a participant for a month or longer. Um, you can also, you know, one of the things that I have found that's amazing about being alumni for these programs is you're all, you can also just say, hey, I'm going to this place. Who else is going to be there? You know, I mean, I, you know, I was in, Tbilisi, Georgia, with a friend of mine, didn't know anybody else there, just put up on the remote year. She had done remote year too with a different group. Um, just put up on remote year, hey, is anybody in Tbilisi, Georgia want to have dinner tonight? Ten people from remote year were there. So we had this like <laughs> epic beat up and like, you know, I mean, so you can do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Once you get into any of these programs, you get into the alumni network and all of a sudden now yeah. you're going to know people all over the world, right? Um, so I did, I've done that with remote year. Um, Hacker Paradise is another one that I have done uh, a number of months uh, on their program. I went to Osaka, Japan with them. I went to... Uh, da Nang, Vietnam with them. I have done uh, a few different, a few different places with them. And then I did, I did a program that is no longer functional, actually. Um, it was called Wanderers to Life and went to Nairobi, Kenya with that program, uh, which was really amazing. So yeah, I mean, I've done a number of these different <clears throat> programs and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're amazing, right? Because you arrive in a city that you've never been yeah. and you don't know anybody and you know, okay, my accommodations are set and my co-working space is set. But more importantly, there's like 30 people that I've never met that are like, know I'm coming and want to meet me and want to yeah. get to know me and hang out with me. And, yeah. and that's amazing. It's so special. It's such an easy way to land. And I know I just love sharing this with people who might be listening because a lot of people who are thinking about this lifestyle often think it's going to be so lonely. Like I'm not going to know anybody or I'm going to show up to somewhere. And it does take some intention to put yourself into these communities to start and build that network. Um, but curious now for you, as you travel now, so having done a bunch of these programs and built a great network of friends and people from all of these communities, how do you balance now? Do you still do those programs? I know COVID has been a little bit different, but your thoughts on traveling alone, meeting up with people, what does that look like for you now? Yeah, I my travel structure right now is well, I'm just kind of reemerging <laughs> now instead of figuring it out. But I tend to sort of probably break it up a little bit. Like you and I are here right now because the Nomad Base group yep. is here, and there are hundreds of nomads that yeah. came down for this conference, <laughs> many of whom are dear friends of mine yep. that I have not seen in a couple of years. Yeah, and so I wanted to come, I wanted to reconnect with them, I wanted to see them, and all that, and kind of be immersed in that community. Yep. 
when I leave Mexico, I am going to go to El Salvador with one nomad friend of mine. Yep. And he and I are going to post up there for a month, and that'll be a much more local experience. Yeah. There'll be less... Uh, I mean, I, I will find some people down there <laughs> through some of these networks. Uh, I have no doubt I will find some people, but it's not like there's a conference yeah. or there's an organized group or things like that. And so um, I will do that as well. I mean, you and I went to West Africa with a small group of people that yeah. we just curated and said, like, let's get a small group of people and go have this really epic experience, yep. you know, in this place. And so I feel like my travel now, like, and after my West Africa experience, I met a college friend of mine who is Macedonian and I met him in Macedonia because he and his family came from, flew from the U S to visit his relatives in Macedonia. And he was like, you'll come meet me in Macedonia <laughs> and I'll Best. show you around. I was like, amazing. Yeah. So then like I rolled up there met him and his family and just got this unbelievable local experience in Macedonia, you know? So for me right now, travel is sort of like a balance between, you know, hanging out with other travelers, yep. which I dearly love. And of course I interview them every week on my podcast. <laughs> and, um, I think they're fascinating and amazing and travelers from all over the world that have also been to countries all over the world. And I think that's a really fascinating and amazing community. And then also just sort of locally immersing in the different places that I am as well, which is also a really important and amazing part of travel and doing that with like one or a small group of yeah. friends. Yeah, it is such a different experience. I found that when I'm on Wi-Fi Tribe or these other, you know, here we are in, in Playa with Nomad Base, and it's you're really hanging with other digital nomads. Whereas when you just kind of get a friend or two or three or four or five even and, and find a place, you kind of ingrain yourself much more in the local community. But I'd love to pivot into that because you and I had a fun conversation the other night where I was really, I love asking you all these questions because I'm still navigating it quite honestly. But as you think about it, there's a lot of, um, I guess, different ways you can travel, right? You can show up in a place and only meet other travelers, hang out with other travelers, but you're still in a place experiencing it versus really getting to know locals in a community as a traveler. So how do you balance that? How do you seek it out? What's your kind of take on it? Yeah, I mean, I think in part it sort of depends, right? Like if I'm coming to some place for a nomad conference right. or a nomad event, I am oftentimes then prioritizing my networking and socialization with the people that have come to the conference. Right. And that tends to be what the experience is like, which is an interesting experience in and of itself. Like, hey, we're a whole bunch of really interesting world right. traveling nomads. From all over the world. From all over the world yeah. that are going to meet in this one city. And so you're you're interacting and networking with them. I'm meeting people. I'm interviewing them on my podcast. Or, you know, we're talking about all these different stories. And they've had these travel experiences. And I've had these. And they're from this country and all that. And, you know, one of the things that, that you and I, I think, have done a lot of is on our travels, we meet people that are travelers, that are nomads, that are from other yes. countries. Yeah. And then we know people in that country that are from that country. So then when we go there, we know people, right? right? Um, which is all another amazing reason to network with travelers because yeah. what becomes, what starts as an expat social right. experience right. in one country turns into a local experience when you go to that person's home country yeah. and now all of a sudden they're showing you around and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like, you know, that is part of the experience and I will, you know, structure part of my travels to do that and to meet travelers and stuff. And then part of the experience is going to a country where you want to see a lot of the local stuff specifically right. in that country for that purpose. Like 
going to West Africa to go and experience the nightlife and to go and experience, you know, the music and the dance, all this kind of stuff and just going there, you know? Um, so, so I feel like there's a balance there for me where I kind of try to do both. Yeah. And I try to have, um, different types of travel experiences on purpose. Yeah. And we, we didn't even mention, we spent a month in Nigeria together with two other people. So Agnes, who is on the podcast, back i can't remember the exact episode earlier on to check it out um any thoughts just as you think about the experience of nigeria and what it was like to travel there specifically yeah i mean i thought it took a little while to figure it out and i was (laughs) actually you know you left um a little bit before agnes and i did and the very end of that Nigeria trip. Like you guys just figured it we out. We kind of cracked the code. Like it was crazy. <laughs> it was a hard one to crack. It was, yeah, because it was like crazy because, I mean, so there was a number of, of things, right? So first of all, I did know a local Nigerian friend of mine in Lagos who I had met traveling, who had done one of the remote year programs. She was back in Lagos. She's actually the one that helped me get the visa to get into <laughs> Lagos because <laughs> I was not coming from the United States. So it was very hard to get it from outside the United States. Um, and then she ended up not being there the entire yeah. time because she had to be out of the country on business. So a number of these things happened where we didn't have the local connect that we often do. Right. And so we had to sort of try to figure it out, where to go, all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, so when we're asking folks and there's not that many tours there, so they're like, oh, you're a tourist. You probably want to go to this kind of place. <laughs> and then you get to you're like, oh, man, this is definitely not the kind of place. We're trying to go to local spots. Right. You know, and so ultimately what we what Agnes and I started doing on the last week, there's a couple things that happened. One was that our Airbnb host took us out with like a crew. <laughs> we were rolling like 12 deep Amazing. in Lagos and they were just taking us to all of these local spots. And we just had, it was like, you know, we just had this entire local crew, which was amazing so So it was like finally we're rolling with locals and then the other thing that we did was we started asking the uber drivers what nightclubs do you go out to (laughs) and not we're not not what nightclub do you recommend we go to right where do you go what nightclub do you go to and also it turned out to be really important to ask what time they arrive there because that was our mistake (laughs) we were there at midnight at the right places and we're like why is nobody here and then the uber drivers would tell us you were, you were there at midnight? It doesn't start till like 2 a.m. What is this? Right, exactly. So, so it took a while to figure it out. But, um, but then we went, Agnes and I went on to uh, Accra in Ghana, which yeah. was just amazing. Absolutely incredible. And then we went up to Dakar in Senegal, which was absolutely magical as well. And we did a swing through the Ivory Coast. Um, another friend of mine who had done one of the other remote year programs, um, was came to meet us. And then another friend of mine who had done remote year is actually a uh, Ghanaian from Accra. And he had done remote year for a year and was now back in Accra. So like all of a sudden, the, then the social, you know, right. network started to unfold. And we had all of these, uh, you know, incredible experiences as we went up through West Africa. But yeah, I mean, a really special region. It is the, you know, I mean, Nigeria is the Mecca of Afro beats, you know, the sub-Saharan African music scene, the sub-Saharan African film scene, they call it Nollywood, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, the art scene was just incredible there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and they were, uh, you know, they were playing nineties East coast hip hop all around the <laughs> yeah, city the in addition to the Afro beats. And I was <laughs> like, Oh wow, this really is winning my heart. So yeah, yeah it was amazing. 
All right, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. And I actually want to talk about traveling as a digital nomad and some of the racial divides that exist. So you and I have had some cool conversations, I think, um, the same way that racial divides exist within neighborhoods when you live in a city. I think we've seen the same thing exist of white travelers traveling together, black travelers traveling together, and not mixing the way that we could or should. And I think you've done a really specific job of being intentional about trying to diversify not just the places that you experience, but also the people that you travel with. And I'm curious how you how you make it a point to do that and why. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, when I get invited to speak at a conference or an event, for example, I am oftentimes looking at the lineup of speakers that they have invited. And if it seems to me that they are disproportionately white speakers or disproportionately male speakers, yep. I will be intentional about interacting with the conference organizers and suggesting or recommending some additional speakers, for example, that are people of color, that yep. are women, um, and that kind of a thing, because I think that that is really important. And so if it's like at an institutional level, I will give that kind of feedback. And the same thing with like, you know, work travel programs or things like that, if there's a disproportionate amount of, um, you know, white folks that are, <laughs> that are coming on these programs, I will try to have constructive discussions with the organizers and, you know, and as to why that might be the case and to, you know, start to maybe give them some suggestions um, in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of that and just kind of open that dialogue anyways, open that discussion a little bit. So, so that's one thing. And then I think just in terms of my own travel decisions, like I will patronize a variety of different types of travel experiences and choose to immerse myself and attend different types of travel experiences and events. So, um, for example, the, I told you about the program that I went on where I went on a work travel program to Kenya. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that organization no longer exists because the founders moved on to do other uh, different types of things, often in the travel space, but not running those programs. Um, but that was a program where it was, almost entirely African-American um, folks, disproportionately women uh, that went on that particular work travel program. So the organizer was from, a, a, you know, she graduated from a historically black college and university. Uh, and a lot of her network was in the uh, African-American travel space in particular. Right. Um, and so that's who primarily went on her trip. Right. And she marketed it and, you know, and all that in a way that was going to be, you know, very comfortable and inviting for black folks to go on that trip. Yeah. Right. So um, it was an amazing experience, uh, incredible crowd that we had. Uh, it was really, really epic. I mean, we had, so we were in, we were based in Nairobi for like a month. One of the women that was on the trip was a hip hop DJ from Harlem. <laughs> and she ended up getting uh, not only some gigs in uh, Nairobi, but she ends up getting this gig in, uh, in Tanzania, in Dar es Salaam, which is the capital of Tanzania, at like the top hip hop club in Dar es Salaam, right? So... They had had at that club some international DJs before, including some DJs from New York, I think. But she was going to be the first female DJ ever to headline Amazing. at that club. <laughs> so she's so she's like, you guys want to roll with me? We're like, oh, yeah. hell yeah. So like we rolled in with her as like her entourage to this club. And it was like amazing, right? Like, like Dar es Salaam is right on the water. And when you go into this club and like in the foyer, there's like this huge mural of Biggie with the crown like lit up and it just says 
it was all a dream on the wall. <laughs> and that's like when you go in, I'm like, oh, we are in the Love spot. It. Like this is the right place, you know? Um, and we went in there and then it was just, it was all local. It was all yeah. Tanzanians, you know? Um, and uh, it was just amazing. I mean, it was just an incredible, incredible experience. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think choosing where you spend time and all that. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of people on the Maverick show that are board members of the Black Travel Alliance, yep. um, people that are black travel influencers, people that run black travel organizations, which I try to participate in. So, yeah. for example, there's an amazing organization called Nomadness Travel Tribe. Um, which was founded by Evita Turquoise Robinson, who I've interviewed on the Maverick show. And this is, you know, it's an organization geared towards black and brown travelers that just puts out amazing content, organizes amazing events. They, they were doing an in-person uh, event, which has been digital since COVID. Um, so it's the Audacity uh, Festival, Digi Audacity Digi or whatever they're calling <laughs> it now. Um, but like I've attended, I attend that regularly. Yeah you know, and, uh, and listen to those speakers and then reach out to them and interview them on a podcast and like just sort of get immersed in, um, in, in a lot of different types of spaces. So you really understand a lot of different, um, you know, different travel communities and, and, and all that. So for me, I mean, that's definitely been a priority and then just, you know, just choosing where I want to go and experiencing a lot of different parts of the world, not just the parts that are really set up for yeah. tourists and expats but actually saying you know what i like like you and i did like we like we want to go to nigeria like this yeah. is the the heart and soul of like the Afrobeat scene in in right. sub-saharan africa like we want to go see that we want to experience that uh even if it's not you know super set up for nomads right. and expats and tourists like we want to go anyways and yeah. we want to go and live there and experience that and see what that's like and so i think making those kind of travel decisions is important yeah. Nigeria was a really interesting one to obviously stand out with our white skin. And even for, for me, it was a big lesson one to be there for so long and be the mi minority, which is, is so unusual in most places in the world. And then also to recognize the white privilege that still came with it. You know, not only we are the minority, yet there still is white privilege and you are treated differently. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, for me, it's it's I try to open my eyes as I go and experience these things. And I want to do another, I think is a hard question, might be easier for you, but as you think about traveling to different communities, I know as a nomad, you can get a bad rap of just coming in, for example, like Playa del Carmen, where it's become this touristy sort of place and it's cheaper for us as the US, you know, or someone who has our type of um, financial, you know, security and other people who are having to not, you know, not live by the beaches where they were or not live in wherever they were. But how do you, um, I guess, as you travel the world, how do you try to be conscious of this as a traveler when you enter these communities? Because it's something I definitely am asking to learn as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think one is to try to do a little bit of research before you go and just try to understand the historical context into which you're walking in. Yeah. Right? So understanding the history of colonialism in Nigeria. Yep. Right? And understanding the history of the West African slave trade yep. and understanding, you know, <clears throat> the historical context that you are entering into. Right. So as you walk in, this is the historical context yeah. or, you know, as an American citizen walking into some of these Southeast Asian countries like Laos, for example. Yeah. Right. And understanding that that is the most bombed country 
in the history of the world, and it was bombed by the United States at a rate that was just you know astronomical. And those people are still living with the devastating effects today yeah. of that bombing campaign that happened back uh, during the U.S. war against Vietnam, right? And so just knowing that history, when you go yeah. into a country and saying, okay, this is the history of you know colonialism, or this is the history of American foreign policy, or whatever your country is, right? right. Like it's particularly important to understand it from your yeah. country's perspective, for right? Sure. And like where you're coming from. So since I'm an American, for me to understand U.S. foreign policy history as well as contemporary U.S. foreign policy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like what is the U.S. government doing now? now? Right. Um, that's also very important. And and I think just then you just have a lot more context for where you are. And then I think just being very respectful um, of cultural norms, you know, and going around the world. And sometimes that might be like the way that you dress or it might be the way that you um, interact with people, uh, the way that you greet people or the way that you don't, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, uh, the way that you don't, you know, the way that you're not supposed to do certain things, you know. Um, And so I think just having a little bit of a sense of of that, of what, so that you can be perceived as being very respectful to their culture uh, and being at least somewhat knowledgeable um, about it. And then, you know, learning a little bit of the language. Yep. Even if it's not a lot of the language, you know, a handful of basic phrases that are said with a smile and an intention to communicate. Thank you. That's always the word I, (laughs) you know, bare, bare, bare minimum. Yeah. You know, smiling at people, you know, just being a positive, you know, um, a positive thing. I mean, which, which to some extent is like, even in your hometown, right? Like when I'm, checking out of the grocery store. I try to <laughs> make the cashier laugh and smile right. and like maybe that person's day just got a little bit better because they interacted with me, you yeah. know? Um, so I think there's a lot of ways that you can add value like that, both in terms of your interactions with human beings um, as well as, you know, patronizing their economy and, you know, all of that kind of stuff and sort of contributing financially and then trying to, you know, not, um, you know, not do negative things. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different aspects you could talk about sustainability in terms of like environmental sustainability (laughs) and, you know, trying to offset your carbon footprint and, you know, be sort of ecologically conscious. And then, you know, there's a lot of different aspects. Another great resource I'll give out for folks um, to check out is called the rise travel Institute, R I S E, um, founded by an amazing, uh, woman named Vincy Ho, um, who I've interviewed on the Maverick show. And it is really an amazing um, set of mostly free resources for how to think about being a more conscious and sustainable traveler, socially conscious, environmentally conscious, things you can do, all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, so if you want to link that up in the show notes, I think that would be a great place for people to start. Awesome. Thank you for that recommendation. All right. We've covered a lot of topics. I'm going to give you three quick questions to wrap this up. One top three destinations that come to your mind because so many are good for different reasons uh in the world that you have loved and experienced already brazil Mm -hmm. is pure magic (laughs) pure magic every time i go it blows me away and i just am so (laughs) enthralled with it and i've been to different parts of brazil it's enormous it's a massive country so many parts there's so many more parts i want to see that i haven't seen i've not traveled anywhere nearly comprehensively there but every time i go it is just incredible it makes an amazing impact on me so brazil i would say then i would say 
go to Accra in Ghana. Nice. That's what I'm going to say. It is right on the beach. Every Sunday they have a beach party on Labadi Beach with like 5,000 people, DJs. 5,000 5, oh people, DJs. I mean, playing all the Afro beats and dance hall. And uh, I mean, it's, a, it's this amazing mix of Afro beats and then there's some Jamaican dance hall, some US hip hop. Like, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. But also just the nightlife every night is amazing. They have these like outdoor nightclubs with incredible DJs and very local, you know, scene. And it's just incredible the food is insane like it was um and it's very easy to travel there the uh, internet was perfect the entire time in our place uh the weather was lovely uh you know it, everyone speaks english you know so it's a very accessible i think uh place that's easier to travel than some other places um so if you want to see west africa and you want to see that um you can go there uh really really amazing so i'll pick that and then <laughs> one oof, more. What's I gotta pick. Be? <laughs> I gotta pick one more. I feel like I need to pick a place in Asia because I'm kind of. <laughs> I want to diversify my continents a little bit, and I dearly love the continent of Asia. It is uh, has a very special place in my heart, but it's massive, right? It's like two thirds of the world lives and on so many great the continent of Asia. There's so many countries. <laughs> I'm gonna say if you haven't been to Japan, you need to go to Japan. Yeah, because the way that food. <laughs> works in the world is that there is <laughs> Japan and then there is the rest of Asia <laughs> and then there is the rest of the world. I mean, it's just kind of like the culinary hierarchy, right? Like when you go to Japan, you will experience food at a level that you have never experienced it before. And it is extraordinary but also like the coffee scene and, you know, uh, Japanese whiskey. And I mean, you will just uncover all of these just truly extraordinary uh, and amazing things. And it's just a fascinating culture. Like there's yeah. all kinds of just stuff. Some of this stuff is just completely like off the wall, <laughs> like crazy, you know, and interesting. And some of it is just, I mean, it's just, it's a very, very interesting place. And when you go there, there's a lot of different places to see in the country, right? So Tokyo is completely different from Kyoto, right? Which is completely different from the islands and, you know, all that. So definitely I would say spend some time in Japan. It is a very unique, very different and totally extraordinary place. I'm excited. I was supposed to go there April right when COVID hit. And so I'm yet to go, but it's high, high up on my list because everybody speaks of it just like you do. So next question are top three places you'd still like to get to that you have not been to. It's hard because you've been to many places. I'm going to go with Iran, hmm. Ethiopia, and Bhutan. Mm, that one's high on my list as well. Good answers. All right. Very last question. For someone who's listening who is not yet a digital nomad, maybe they have a remote job already, maybe they don't, maybe they're thinking about it, but are thinking about this lifestyle, what would be your one piece of advice for someone who's kind of on the fence of whether to pursue it or not? Just do it. <laughs> like Nikes. literally buy, go on the, on the computer right now, buy a plane ticket, <laughs> go somewhere and see if you like it. You can always stop. Yeah. There's no downside. Just go. <laughs> and then you can always, you know, stop later or change your decision later. Right. But I think getting into it is the, you know, just buy the plane ticket, go somewhere and just start because it's amazing. 
Amazing. Make it sound so simple. There's so many fears and obstacles that come up for people of what do I do with my stuff? How do I do insurance? You know, there's a lot of things to figure out, but I actually do like your style of like, just book the ticket. And then, you know, what's figure the it principle? Out. It's like, however much time you have to figure something out, you yeah. will. Yeah. You'll figure it out. You're going to get a, a paralysis. And now, I mean, listen, it depends where you are in your journey, right? Yeah. Like obviously, you know, do you have a stream of location independent income, right? Can you work remotely yep. or do you have something like that? Or you don't have that yet, right? Um, do you have like, where are you in your journey? So yeah. obviously <laughs> there are some planning steps to get at a, if you're trying to do this long term and you're yeah. trying to create some pillars to sustain it, you know, but I would say there's a lot of people that just talk about it and then there's not a hard timeline. So yeah. I would say give yourself a hard timeline. Like if you do have those obstacles, oh, I need to figure out how to do this and sort this out and whatever, fine. Give yourself a timeline yeah. though and create an accountability thing. Like tell somebody else about it, Yeah. you know, and then get create an accountability and say, by this date, yeah. I'm out. That's what I did. And, this, I, is, and yeah. this is my first place that I'm going yeah. because it's the country that I'm most excited about of any place in the world. Yeah. So you're going to be fired up to get there. Yeah. And then book advice. the ticket <laughs> for six months from now. So you've paid for it. Yep. So no turning back. Yeah. And then just do the six months or the three months or the one month or whatever you need uh, to get your stuff in order. But like book that ticket. Yeah, I did that. I signed up for a Wi-Fi tribe chapter in Indonesia. It was September and I signed up in January and I was like, all right, I got this long to get my income in order to figure out how, who's going to rent my apartment, all the things. But Matt, thank you for joining us today. For anyone who might be interested in Maverick Real Estate or anything about you, where can people go to learn more? Definitely. Well, first of all, if you want to contact me personally directly, easiest way is to follow me on Instagram and send me a direct message. I am at Matt Bowles Maverick, M-A-T-T-B-O-W-L-E-S-M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K. So just follow me on Instagram, send me a direct message. If you are interested in the Maverick Show podcast, they <laughs> do it every week. I interview today's most interesting location-independent entrepreneurs and world travelers. Been doing it every week since 2018. It's a lot of amazing episodes, including Marissa and Diego have both been interviewed yeah. on the Maverick Show. Uh, really, really incredible interviews. Both of them uh, would be a fun place to start. Uh, but absolutely extraordinary, like the most extraordinary humans that I meet. I interview them. And what we do is we go deep into uh, not just their story, but their area of expertise. And we pull out actionable tactics that you can use in your own life. So definitely check that out. Anywhere you are listening to this podcast, just type in <laughs> The Maverick Show with Matt Bowles and my podcast will come up and you can follow it there or just go to themaverickshow.com. That's the website. And then in terms of the rental property stuff, if you are interested in learning more about potentially buying cash flowing rental properties, I will offer you, first of all, there is a free white paper that I put together for digital nomads in particular about how to buy cash flowing rental properties in the best US markets from anywhere in the world and finance your epic international lifestyle. That is a free report you can get at themaverickshow.com slash nomad. And then if you wanna go deeper or you really are ready to start having a conversation about this, um, I wanna offer you a free consultation and you can get that at themaverickshow.com slash consult. And we would love to welcome you into the Maverick community, get all your questions answered and help you to start building your rental property portfolio. Amazing. Well, thanks, Matt, for sharing all of your expertise, your stories, your journey, your thoughts, and 
see you soon. Thank you for having me, Marissa. That is a wrap on our episode with Matt. Thanks so much for joining. I hope that you got some great ideas about maybe different ways to invest, all different types of jobs that are out in the world for digital nomads and fun adventures that you can have all around the world. If you are interested in getting a remote job, check out beachcommute.com slash 91. You'll see 91 different jobs of people in our community who are traveling the world and working remotely, making real income. So check it out if you're interested and we'll see you on the next episode. Oh, 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 oh,